um, uh, honor one another. And so we'll be doing a series in, in that starting next week, which should be great. But um, we're just freewheeling for two weeks. And Jib preached wonderfully on prayer last week. And I was going to do some. I was going to do the Book of Jude in one week, but um, I thought Jib preached so wonderfully. I had thought I wanted to continue in prayer. So and then I was chatting with my wife. So midweek I changed to Psalm 142. All right. And Jib took the Jib took the good one. Uh, you know, our Father who art in heaven, and that's a that's a really lovely one. <laughs> so I'm, I'm we're left here in Psalm 142, which is still going to be wonderful. I'm trusting. And I'll just hijack some of Jib's stuff from last week. Jib preached on beholding God. Hallowed be your name. How good is it to behold God? And he's talked about how in Jesus' name we get to pray. What a privilege that we come in Jesus with our prayers, that we are clothed in his righteousness. God welcomes us and we are able to come to the Father because of Jesus. What a great privilege. Such great truths from last week. But we continue our theme of prayer this week in Psalm 142, and it's entitled, David in the Cave. So in the cave is, mm, it's a bit dark, right? <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little dark in the cave. If you've ever been trapped in a cave in, in Africa where I grew up, we'd went into some uh, underground caves for a while, and fortunately they'd put lights up everywhere. But when you turn those lights off, it was very scary in the cave. Don't get lost in a cave. But a quick note about prayer in the Psalms. We see in the Psalms here, the, just to remember that the Psalms are poetry, they're, they're music, they're prayer. So it's kind of like country music, really, if you think about it. It's, it's got a lot of feeling in there. It's got a lot of telling the story. Uh, the Psalms are really, uh, ought to be expressed like that. They're meant to move us. They're meant to be read not as a theological treatise. They are meant to move us. If you read them purely for theology, you're reading them as they shouldn't be read. They're meant to move us in some way. They're meant to alter our emotions. They're meant to help our emotions to even guide them. They're meant to free our emotions and rein them in. It does both of those things in wonderful ways. That's how you read the Psalms or listen to country music, depending on whichever helps you the most. Hint, hint, it's the Psalms, not country music, all right? You can always find yourself in the Psalms, always. Whatever you're experiencing, it's always there. Something more than a doctrinal education should happen in the Psalms, and they give us an example of how to pray. God welcomes us to pray through the example of the Psalms, not in pristine, well-organized, perfect theological treaties. They are kind of chaotic and personal, I love it. They are utterly honest. We do not hide anything, and you do not have to clean yourself up or clean your prayer up. You arrive here, and we all arrive as broken, sometimes confused, sometimes stressed, sometimes suffering, sometimes doubtful. You do not have to hide in shame or live in guilt. We do not have to act in some way that we're not, that we are not, but we come just as we are. That's what the Psalms give us. Read them in that way expressing your deepest doubts, your suffering, your stress. It is all, it is a welcome to be completely personal and honest before God. And the glorious thing is, He listens. Wow. He listens. No matter how chaotic or, chaotic or disorganized your prayers are. In fact, those are the best times, right? We're invited to pray, now this is amazing, to the one who has the power and the willingness to listen and answer. 
we should never, ever get used to the fact that when you pray, you are experiencing a personal miracle of divine grace. You are experiencing a personal miracle every time you pray. You should never get used to that. That the one who created all things, who rules all things, who sits on the throne of the universe is willing to hear you and welcomes you to come to him and bring your struggles just as you are. Every time you pray, it's a divine miracle. We should never get used to that. Familiarity is wonderful to be familiar with the truths of God, but it's also a dangerous thing. When you become familiar, you drive down um, the West Coast Highway. Anyone driven down West Coast Highway? Just as the sun's coming up, and it's just a beautiful, perfect morning, you be, almost begin to worship. It's like, I can't believe this is, this is real. Um, if you drive down there every morning, after six weeks, you're honking on the horn, this traffic drives me nuts, and you haven't seen the sunrise in weeks. That's what familiarity does to us. We should never become familiar, remind us of, of the miracle of being able to talk to God. This is the invitation of the Psalms and say, all right, so that's, that's my brief introduction to the Psalms. Psalm 142, a masculine of David, when he was in the cave praying, have you ever been in a cave that you feel like you can't get out of? David was in the cave in a situation that seemed like it could not end well. Have you ever been in a cave where you thought this can't end well? The context of the story is Saul trying to kill David. David is running away. He's on the run. He's done nothing wrong, actually. You notice that? He's, he's killed Goliath. He trusted God, killed Goliath. Yay! Saul hates him. <laughs> done nothing wrong. No sin. Uh, no, nothing to deserve this situation. And he's in a cave where he can't seem to get out. He's on the run. Saul is trying to kill him. David had not sinned. There was another occasion where David was also on the run later in his life from his own son Absalom. Do you remember that story? Absalom tried to take over the throne. He gathered all the hearts of the people and David runs, he flees. And if you can read in Psalm 3, it's a very similar psalm to this one. David is on the run and in struggle again. The first one, he had not sinned at all. The second one, <laughs> remember when Nathan the prophet came, to, came to, to David and said, David, what you did, he tells him of the first parable in the scriptures, but what happens is David gets caught out. He had taken Bathsheba and he had killed her husband. And, and Nathan the prophet comes to expose him, and he repents, but he says to him, you're, you're, the consequence is your family is going to have strife. This son born here will have strife. And eventually, that exactly what God said happens. His son tries to take his throne. That, again, is a cave of desperate situation. You know that doesn't end well in a monarchy? Because to take the kingship, what has to happen? David needs to die. <laughs> One is, he's in a cave of desperation, not from any sin he's done. Later on, it, it was from things that he'd done, consequences. You might find yourself in a cave from either one of those things. Maybe something you've done, but maybe nothing to do with you. Have you ever been in a cave or on the run, in a situation that you think cannot end well, trying to escape something difficult? Maybe it's a cave of relational breakdown, cave of depression, illness, a cave of where pleasure no longer delivers to you. 
You're just trapped seeking pleasure. The cave of identity where your identity is so attached to others that you're trapped there. Maybe friends or even a spouse or children. Where, what cave might you found yourself in? And we all do. So let's start this psalm. Psalm 142 verse 1. David says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I plead to the Lord for mercy. The psalm starts with pleading. <laughs> I lift my voice. He gets vocal. If you never lifted your voice to God, try it. The psalm invites you into it. He lifts his voice. He yells, perhaps. He raises his loud voice and he tells God about it. He pleads. This is the messy kind of pleading, right? Do you know what messy kind of pleading is? That's the one with tears, the ones with snot, the ones where there's a pool around you on the ground. Have you ever? Was it just me? Okay. No. Uh, there's a pool of tears around you, and there's a lot of weird noises usually, right? That kind of pleading. If you haven't done any of that, uh, the psalm invites you into that. Are you in such a cave that you need the messy kind of pleading? God invites you to do it. And his pleading is for mercy. God, give me mercy. God, be merciful to me. It's like Bartimaeus in the Gospels. Remember Mark 10, where Jesus is passing by, and it says he heard it was Jesus passing by, and he began to cry out. He began to cry, Son of David, have mercy on me. It's a plea for mercy. God, rescue me. Have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be silent. Don't bring your snot and tears here. But he refused. It says he cried out all the more. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> he cried out all the more. Let your cry come out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. The Psalms and the New Testament invite you to cry out all the more. Crying to Jesus. When you're crying to Jesus, cry out all the more. This pool of tears, not quite enough yet. I'm going to cry out all the more. You were invited to do it. it. says, I cry out to the Lord. I love the direction of David's crying. It's to the Lord. He looks Godwards. You know, if you look in any other direction, you will only find darkness. When you look to the Lord, that's where there's rescue. Cry out to the Lord. God is the God of the hills and the valleys, and we tend to Never pray quite so well as when we're in the valleys, right? Where's, where's your best prayers been? <laughs> in the valleys or on the mountaintops? In the valleys. The, we're never quite as good at prayers when we are driven to the necessity of prayer. May our prayers in the cave, may your prayers in the cave be the best of your prayers and the closest of God's presence to you. This is not the psalm where David says... Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. That's Psalm 23, that came later. This is the psalm where he says, God have mercy on me. So the first point from this psalm we get is that God hears our prayers. The messy, unformed, personal, chaotic prayers, God hears. That's good news. You can come with whatever prayer you like, God hears it. Verse 2, he says, I pour out my complaints before him and I reveal my trouble to him. 
He's very honest. He says he reveals his trouble. He pours it out. Pouring out is messy, right? If you, if you have chil- four children, <laughs> things get poured out all the time, normally on the floor, on the table, on the couch, everywhere. They just get poured out. You walk around the house and it's just things being poured out everywhere. It's amazing. It's a miracle. That, that much can be poured out. Well, this is the picture. It's the picture of pouring something out. Have you ever knocked a giant jug over or a vase of flowers and just seen it crash across? Pour it out. Let it all out. Let it, don't keep it inside there. Pour it all out. He pours out his complaint. I'm pouring it out before you. And he says, I reveal my trouble to you. He tells God his troubles, his exact troubles. Troubles from without and troubles from within. He makes a full confession. Not only does the Bible invite us to bring our prayers, but it also invites us to make a full confession. Tell God everything. Tell God all the troubles you are in. Some of them may be from without. Some of them, this is an amazing miracle here as well. To have the self-awareness to admit your own troubles within. You know, in the, in the darkness of the cave, that is the hardest time to look within. May God give us the grace to confe- make a full confession. God, I have troubles with that, but not only that, I have troubles with Josh. He's a troublesome person. Would you rescue me from him? These are the toughest times to do that. We can make a full confession because he already knows everything, which is so wonderful. I make my complaint or my troubled thoughts before him, and I tell him all my troubles. I tell him of those without and those within. Verse 3 says, although my spirit is weak within me, you know my way. Although my spirit is weak. Some of the other translators put this, although my spirit is overwhelmed. Anyone felt overwhelmed before? David's really going deeper and deeper here, isn't he? He's getting, getting deeper and deeper into the distress that he's in. My spirit is weak within me. My spirit is overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed. David has reached the end of himself, and all he can do is pour out this prayer to God. That's all that is left to do. And perhaps you have too reached the end of yourself in some way. For you know my way, he says. This is an amazing turn. He's reached the end of himself, and then he says this. His cry goes from pouring out everything he knows to saying, God, I have nothing left, but you know my way. Think about that phrase. You know my way. You know, when you have nothing left to say, this is a wonderful psalm. It gives you a verse to pray. God, you know my way. No one else. I have no strength to do this, but you know my way. Wow. What a miracle of grace to be able to pray that. God, you know my way. He turns upwards to God. And again, this is not a false statement. I love that. Sometimes we think prayer is just entirely honest. David has the courage to be honest about all of his circumstance and then take one more step and he says, God, I want to be honest about who you are. You know my way. It's an honest, still an honest prayer, isn't it? God, you know my way. He admits that God might be his only hope. When I am ready to give up, I can still say that God knows my way. 
Along this path, verse 3 says, they have hidden a trap for me. He describes the way ahead of him and he says, they, being the enemies of God, have set traps for me. We live in a broken world where sin and death and brokenness will come into our lives and there are traps ahead. There are difficulties ahead. There are often, in these times, the hardest times of trouble. It's hard to look at our own hearts, as we said, in those moments. But how good is it to know that God still knows the way? There are unseen traps ahead, but God is not overwhelmed by them, even though we may be. The unseen things ahead. God knows the path, and yet it has no less traps ahead of it. God still knows. He knows, but he's not overwhelmed. God knows the way into the cave, and he also knows the way through the cave. God knew you're coming into it, and he knows the way through it. For God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way. God knows the way and is the way. He will know he can provide the way of escape so that you might be able to endure it. I love how this psalm is not, doesn't diminish anything of the darkness of the cave, but yet it's, it's somehow you trust God to say, God, even in this you know my way. All my ways are known to you. Jesus himself, when he faced his own day of trouble, came to the point where he cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. Point number two in this psalm, one was God hears your prayer, no matter what it's like, but two, God knows your way. How good is that? All my ways are known to you. All my ways are known to you. David then looks to his right, verse 4, and he looks and he says, See, there's no one who stands with me. No one stands up for me. We've reached the first peak of this psalm, David pouring out his honest, snotty tears, and he goes, But God, I don't really get this, but at least you know the way. Then he comes back to more honesty before God, and he says, God, I'm looking to the right, and I see no one. No one stands up for me. There is no refuge for me. No one cares about me. Anyone said that before? It was just me again. I feel very alone today, Jim. Can you just... <laughs> no one cares about me. Just his honesty. Isn't it beautiful? Take that psalm. There is no human help that can rescue me, <laughs> is what he's saying. It's a great admission that our help cannot be found in any human other than Jesus. What a wonderful place to finally get to. Again, it's sometimes a place you only find when you reach the valley, the dark cave, right? Technically, it's not quite true because David did have a mate. Does anyone know the story of David's best friend, Jonathan? Who was Saul, the king who's trying to kill him. It was Saul's son. And Jonathan was actually advocating for David in the palace at the risk of his own life, right? You, you remember the story? He's trying to subtly not get killed himself while he protects David. And you can go read the story in, in 1 Samuel. And here's David saying, I have no one who looks after me, no one who stands up for me, no one who cares for me. I wonder how Jonathan felt reading this psalm. You know? David, what, what have you been writing? <laughs> 
oh, oh, wow. I thought I was risking my life for you, but okay. <laughs> and so sometimes we can, in the darkest of caves, say things that, and that's fine, we can say things, but when in the honest, honest light of day, sometimes it's not quite true, right? Anyone said something that's not quite true in the deep darkness of despair? Yeah, just me again. Oh, a few people are joining me. People are getting braver this morning. Thank you. I've said things which are not quite true in the deep darkness of stare. Jonathan, I'm sure, would have been upset by that verse. <laughs> have you ever exaggerated something? David is, however, acknowledging something profound, that there's no sufficient human help. That is still very profound. There is no one who can rescue me. Jonathan, even if he is my mate, he might disappear. He might decide not to represent me before the king. He might get killed by the guy. I don't know. There's still a very profound truth that there is no sufficient help on the side of humans. <laughs> you know, David, that's a very profound help. You know, if Josh helps you, you might well, Josh being me, not the other Josh, if Josh helps you, you might end up uh, worse off if I help you. You can ask my wife about that. Sometimes the help I provide, it ends up <laughs> worse off. But when, <laughs> when Jesus helps you, and he promised that the Holy Spirit would come to help you, that's the kind of real help, the eternal and perfect help, which is true. And how glorious that Jesus is also advocating for us before the Father. He says he ever lives to intercede for us. Jesus is help. I am without rescue for this situation. This is a good place to get to because finally we may um, be able to say, Jesus, you alone will be my help, which is wonderful. We mostly want to believe that we are self-sufficient. Do you know that? We mostly want to believe that. Have you ever, and this is a story from, uh, I'll tell a story that I heard this week. There's a belief that we're self-sufficient, that we don't need the help, or that we might get help from ourselves. We think, oh, I'll just muddle my way through this by myself. And you see it in children. Have you ever seen children uh, when they're learning to tie their shoelaces? And let's say little who, what do we call him, Hector? Hector has just been given shoes, and he reaches down to tie his laces. Now, he has no bow skills. He's got nothing. He doesn't know how to tie a bow. But he could, he could fumble with those laces for 100 years, and he would never tie a bow. Trying to, and when mum reaches down his, her hand to help him, what does he do? He slaps it away. Because he wants to believe that he has everything he needs within him to get the job done. That's called self-sufficiency. <laughs> he wants to believe he's an independent, self-sufficient human being. Now, you have self-sufficiency in you. I have self-sufficiency in me. Have you ever, when someone pointed out a sin, weakness, or failure, and you risen up to defend yourself and told them that, you're not the only sinner in the room, but you are also a sinner. <laughs> That's self-sufficiency. You're saying, thank you, Jesus, for the body of Christ. I just don't need it. Someone else does. Self-sufficiency. That's from Paul Tripp, by the way. <laughs> self-sufficiency. We want to believe we're self-sufficient. In, in other many ways... When we run, even from prayer, even from the scriptures, even from community, it's our self-sufficiency. 
saying that we will be able to rescue ourselves. Praise God for His rescuing grace that we may be forsaken by men so that we can learn that we are never forsaken by God. That is rescue. That is grace coming to us. What a profound reality to live in. David felt abandoned. I'm sure Jonathan disagreed with him, but David felt abandoned. It was a real feeling, real experience, which he wrote about. Jesus was abandoned. David felt abandoned. Jesus was abandoned. At Gethsemane, abandoned by men. On the cross, abandoned by his own followers. Oh, sorry, on the cross, abandoned by his own followers and abandoned by God himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was abandoned so that we would never have to see the back of God's face, the back of his head. Jesus was abandoned so that we would never be abandoned. That in the cave of great darkness, we could still say, God has not abandoned me. What a privilege. Not only does God know the path ahead, but he stands to our right and to our left. He stands before us and behind us. He cares for us so we can cast all of our cares upon him. Point number three in this psalm. One, God hears your prayer no matter what it sounds like, no matter how snotty. Two, God knows your way. What a glory if you could pray that. God, I really don't get this, but at least you know the way. Number three, God knows your pain. He knows your feeling of abandonment. Verse 5, David says, God, I cry to you and I say that you are my shelter and you are my portion in the land of the living. This is the second peak in the psalm where David finally, again, after pouring out himself, I am abandoned, no one is for me. Then he says, but, oh God, you are my shelter. What a glorious place to reach. What a glorious prayer to say. God, could we pray that in our deep, darkest cave? God, you are my shelter and my portion. He's pleading again, all the more, all the more, read, call out for mercy. I cry to the Lord with fresh content this time. God, you are my shelter. There is no person who can do this. Only you could do this. What if our cry was, God, you are my shelter? You have said to God, have you said to God before, you are not my shelter. Just me, me and Jib. Jib, come on, help us, help a brother out. <laughs> Have you said that to God before? We've all been there at some point. This psalm teaches us that we can say a prayer that is entirely honest, entirely true. God, you alone are my shelter. And he goes even a step further when he says, I'm going to trust and say, God, not only are you my shelter, but you are my portion among the living. Even now, while I'm living in a cave, you know, I used to be in the, in the palace, <laughs> projecting forward to the time when he's running away from Absalom. I used to be in the palace, but now I'm on the run. God, even now, you still are my portion. Should my circumstance take all from me, you are still my portion. You are all I want and you are all I need. If I have him, then my, my circumstances 
do not have me. If I have him, my circumstances do not have me. God, you are my portion. Oh God, help us get to the second peak. God, you are my portion. Have you said to God, you are not my portion? God is rescuing us from the great danger of thinking that other things are our portion. Praise God for his rescuing grace, even in the cave, that we get to learn to say, God, you alone are my portion. This is the fourth point of the psalm. God, you hear my prayers, however ugly they are. God, you know my way, even if I don't and I'm clueless. God, you know my pain, but God, you are my portion. David returns to prayer. I love his persistence. (laughs) God, listen to my cry. For I am weak. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Some more honest pleading. I'm not even strong enough to do this. Not only am I abandoned, but I'm not strong enough to see, to, I don't have the strength to move forward. I have a desperate inadequacy in my own strength. Prolonged trouble can erode our resilience and our strength to face another day. But there is always hope because there's always the presence of the Spirit of God and God himself, our portion. He asked God to listen. God pays attention. Jesus experienced something very similar when he said, my soul is overwhelmed even to the point of death. What a statement from the Son of God. To be overwhelmed. This psalm started there. I am overwhelmed. My spirit is overwhelmed. Jesus himself said, I am overwhelmed. To the point of death. What a statement from the Son of God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done. You know the way, you know the path. Our Father, you know the way, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. God, would you be my portion? I need daily bread. I have no portion but you. Give us this day our daily bread. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from temptation. God, I am sorrowful even unto death, as Jesus said. God, would you deliver me? God hears our prayers. God knows our ways. God knows our pain. He is our portion. But also, God is our strength. He promised to be our strength. Come into verse 7. Are you still following with me? One, one more verse. It's quite a dark psalm, actually, isn't it? <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> very honest, very real. He just keeps pouring out his honest emotion before God. Um, verse 7, he says this, Free me from the prison, O God, <laughs> that I can praise you. Free me from this prison, that I might praise you, so the righteous will gather around me, because you will deal generously with me. He trusts to praise the name. That's what he wants to do. He wants to get back to praising the name. You know, he's in the prison. He's not at the temple with good vibes and harps. Um, I think David was a good harpist. Uh, I think I'm safe saying that. 
he's a good dancer. He stripped down and danced in his underpants at one stage, really enjoying his, his praise and worship. Not suggesting we do that here. But David enjoyed the worship and prayer. He desires to engage with the praise of God. He says, oh, God, that I, oh, get me out of prison so I might praise your name. David has a profound understanding of the purpose of life. This is a miracle of grace in David's life. He understands that the purpose of getting out of prison was to glorify God. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire as well, the same thing. When they put into a prison of fire and they go, you know, God can deliver us and bring glory, but if he doesn't, so what? God is still good and glorified overall. He's still the ruler of all things. Their profound understanding is that God be glorified. God be glorified. Wow. What a, what a third peak in this psalm. Can you see the progression here of David's pouring out himself and going, oh God, I have no idea what's going on, just as long as you know the way. <laughs> oh God, help me, there's no one who's with me. I've got nothing as long as you're my portion. <laughs> oh God, I'm still in prison, I'm, I can't remember, but as long as the glory is yours. What a profound, oh God, what a, what a wonderful profound. And if you, at verse 1, just stay there. Keep praying, keep growing the, the cries. Find new noises. Find new tears. But try to get yourself to God. At least you know the way. And then go back to crying out all the more. Cry out all the more. Cry out all the more. And ask for a miracle of grace to get you to the place where you say, God, not only do you know the way, but you are my portion. If I have you, I have enough. Then go back to crying out all the more. <laughs> oh, I'm still in prison. <laughs> oh, I'm still in prison. Oh, oh, I just can't get out of here. But God, might you get the glory. Wow, David experiencing, I think, three miracles in this psalm. May we experience these miracles of grace. Free me from prison so that I can praise your name. What an image. The prison is the place where there seems to be no light. I haven't been to prison yet, but apparently it's not a very light place. It's quite a dark place, I would imagine. David longs to worship with the righteous around him. What a grace and a privilege we have that it is our reality that we can gather with the righteous around us. What a gift of grace. God's rescue plan, his way through the cave, includes leading us back to the people of God, to the gathered people of God. I will praise your name and the righteous will be gathered around me because you have dealt generously with me. God's rescue plan, his way out of the cave, includes the people of God. Some translators also render this verse in a slightly different way. Um, Alec Mortier, who's the for, the for the theology nerds out there, the granddaddy of the Hebrew language. If you want to know Hebrew, just read Alec Mortier. No one cares. So I'm just, just for me personally. But he, he renders this verse like this. He says, um, God, you will, when he says, God, you will deal bountifully with me, he renders the verse, God, you will deal fully with me or completely with me. Ooh, that's a bit scarier. <laughs> you will deal bountifully in a complete way. God, you will deal with me as well. I love that angle of, the, of that, the way he's put that word. God, you will completely and fully deal with me. David's had the 
the strength and the wisdom to acknowledge even his own trouble internally with his own struggles. And he's saying, God, part of the rescue plan is that you will sort me out. Part of the rescue plan is that you will change who Josh is. Part of the redemption is that Josh will not be the same or that you will not be the same. God, you will deal bountifully with me. You will deal fully with me. You will completely rescue me from me. David knew that despite being in the cave and despite being overwhelmed and despite being surrounded by his enemies, that God would deal bountifully with him and completely with him. Praise God for his rescuing grace. David's expectation, however, is nothing compared to the reality that we have in Christ. David's expectation is one day I will get back to the temple and get to dance again. Yeah. I'll stop there because... See, my daughter's getting very nervous. <laughs> One day I will dance. Again, David, that's lovely. The reality of what we, what we have in Jesus, the certainty of the rescue we have in Jesus, the certainty of the goodness we have in Jesus, is far outweighs David's expectation. What a glory that our hope and our trust is in Jesus we have already received Christ. David had not yet received his deliverance. He, was, he may die in the cave. We have already received an eternity in glory with Jesus. Wow. We're in a much better position already than David. Not an easier one necessarily, but a much more expected glorious one. God has dealt bountifully with us in Jesus. When he gave Jesus, there was no more for heaven to give. All that we ever need, we have in Jesus. God has dealt bountifully with us. David says, God, you will deal bountifully with me one day, hopefully. Praise God, please God, don't let me die in this cave. We have been dealt bountifully with. We have Jesus. Our Father, deliver us. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread, our portion. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Yours is the glory, the goodness, the, the inheritance of goodness and release and freedom that we have in Jesus. See, Jib, the Lord's Prayer is also in Psalm 142. Yours is the goodness and the kingdom. This is the final point of this psalm. Point one, God hears your prayers. However they come, however messy they are, but God knows your way. Not only that, God knows your pain and your feeling of abandoned, being abandoned. And he was abandoned. He understands. Yet God is your portion. God knows that he is enough for you. God is your portion. Not only is God your portion, but he is your strength. The Holy Spirit will enable you. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. And finally, God will be praised. He will receive the glory.
Oh, that I might praise your name. I have a plea, I have a plight, I have a portion, and I have a new prospect. Derek Kidner puts it like that. God, you know my way, you are my refuge and my portion. You have dealt bountifully with me. Prayer is worship and prayer is war. Begin to turn your cave into an altar of war and worship. (laughs) It is only ever in trusting Jesus that we can triumph over our own feelings and foes. Who else could you ever turn to? What else could you turn to? There is no one to turn to. We are all in a cave we could never get out of, the cave of sin and death, and sin affects our lives. Jesus has delivered us and is delivering us, and we shall be in glory with him. Jesus was the king who was abandoned, who had no one who stood beside him, who did not escape death, but was buried in a tomb in a cave so that we would never be forsaken, so that God would be with us in our darkest caves. Jesus took every ounce of rejection so that we would never see the back of God's head. And he did it with the prayer on his lips out of the Psalms, out of Psalm 22 in particular, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus prayed that prayer on the cross so that we might never be forsaken. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. So what should we do? Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Oh, for grace to trust Him more, precious Jesus. What should we do? We should cast our cares upon Christ and ask for grace to trust Him more. Now to him who is able to do far more than all we can ask or think according to the great power that is at work within us, to Jesus be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh.